Hello and welcome to the Brick Cave Blitz, the show where we talk about your favourite football. That's right, the American version. Uh, we are in the midst of draft season, eight days away from it. I am your host, as usual, the unusual Greg, unusual underscore Greg on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, joining me, as always, keeping me somewhat mentally stable. Uh, and I do the same for him on occasion. Uh, it's the main man himself. Yeah, keeping yourself humble there. Jeez. Uh, I'm Smith, which is the RS underscore 1994 on Instagram and Instagram only. I am nothing if not humble. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And joining us, as is our second annual tradition, uh, joining us for the draft and to talk and to enlighten us about it all, it's Mr. Pisa. Good evening, guys. Um, thank you, as always, for inviting me to be here. Love to talk about the draft, love to talk NFL, love to talk with you oh, guys. You so flatter us, you flatter us. glad to be here. Um, no, it's much appreciated. As I say, like we we mentioned last year on our draft guide, uh, on our draft podcast, should I say, you do the draft guide, we do the podcast. Um, you, you put out a draft guide. Um, I've been reading through it and, and loving most uh, most every minute of it. Um, there, there's There's just... So much here, and I say, if you if you listen to this and you are a Packer fan, I'd absolutely recommend going and grabbing it. We'll be putting the links in the description on Instagram and on the Twitter, um, and it's just chock full of stuff that just gets you ready uh, for looking forward to everything about it. Um, quick recap for those who didn't listen to last year's episode: it takes a hell of a long time, eighteen months to write it all. We talk about uh athleticism yep. and all that kind of stuff of what uh what it look takes to actually transition from college to NFL. So if you wanted to hear more about that, listen to last year's episode. Peter, we want to pick your brains about the last week of the college football season, that interim period leading up to draft day and you know Thursday night, the first selection of the draft. What happens in that interim period um, that could potentially rise or fall a player's stock and where they would actually be in the draft class? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, that, that, that's a great question because more players move around the draft board in that period than you think ought to. You know, so players have been playing in college for three, four, in some cases, five years because some players were given an extra mm-hmm. year because of the, the, the pandemic. Um, and you would think that after that period of time, they would be pretty much set in stone where they were going to be drafted. And and to be fair, I guess for most of them it is. There is still quite a lot of movement around the draft board in that period. And that's because, um, A, we have combine, as you know, that, that comes either at the end of February or the beginning of March. And that's where the top 300-ish players, I think it was like mm-hmm. 310 or something this year, um, are all invited to Indianapolis under the gaze of pro scouts from all of the 32 teams. Mm-hmm. And they go through um, measurements, they go through workouts, they go through um, skills as well. So, you know, guys will be measured their height, weight, etc. They'll run 40-yard dashes, they'll run shuttles, they'll lift weights. And then, you know, the quarterbacks will throw, you'll see the receivers catching and all of that stuff. So that's a really important thing and then after that each of the schools has what's called their pro day which is where the players who have played for that college previous year and and a number of previous years will hold a a special day where nfl scouts will turn up and see the 
four, five, six, seven players that have played for that school. Again, go through some of the same exercises, but also some other specific stuff as well. And so the Pro Scouts get quite an opportunity to you know, look at players more closely, perhaps, than they would during the college season doing specific things. Yeah, I want to see whether this receiver can run these routes that he was never asked to run in college. Let's let's have a look at that. Let's have a look at whether um, the, the you know the college weights and heights that are listed for players are not always one hundred percent accurate. So you get guys that are listed say at six four in college, and when they get measured at the combine or at their pro day, they're six two or six one and a half, and that can make a difference. You also see guys that are listed in college at say. I don't know, an ideal weight for a tackle at 315 pounds. And when they're weighed at the combine or in a pro day, they turn out to be 340 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that might be a guy that's having problems with his, with his weight. We've also got the knock-on impact of injuries. So, you know, they've gone through the college season. The season's finished in, in early January. You've got a bunch of guys that are, that are injured, either with some serious injuries or with just nagging things. That, that have held them back during that season. So there's an opportunity throughout this period for the NFL teams to get their medical staff to look at x-rays, to look at MRIs, etc., etc., and see what the injuries are and try and get a view as to whether you know, these are injuries that are going to clear up quickly, whether somebody might have a chronic injury. And in the occasional case, you know, there's been cases where things have been identified never previously been identified with players there's a whole that's a long answer i think to a short question there's a whole bunch of stuff that can happen in that period no it was a, it was a great answer because it, it told me stuff that you know i'd never even considered before um like <laughs> the other thing I, sorry the other thing i didn't mention I, I i guess it's important and we kind of tend to overlook this because we think of measuring athleticism and what people do on the on on the field teams get the opportunity to interview a certain number of players they also get the opportunity to bring 30 players into their facility late in the process so that's happening in the last two or mm-hmm. three weeks to bring them so in the case of the packers they're bringing them up to green bay to interview those guys and kind of get a feeling for what kind of guy they are how much they know about football, their general attitude to life, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So that's also an important part. So is that where they get asked, like, what kind of fruit they would be if if that was to happen? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, so obviously we're, we're looking at the draft. We're recording this on the 19th of April. The draft is next Thursday, the 27th of April, if I do maths right. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, there we go. Fantastic. Lo- love that affirmation for me. Um, Part of your draft guide is talking about those injuries that you you've put on that watch list, sort of thing. Is is does this include the ones that come up like as late as you've you've released it, sort of thing? So is this the most up to date as of you've released it, or is this something that just come out in the, yeah. the that college season, sort of thing? So so so, so most of them are, are are kind of as late as I could leave mm-hmm. in leave myself enough time to, to write it. Now, there will be one or two that won't be included in there. Yeah. So I've tried to capture the kind of the major ones or the ones that have happened most recently. So, for example, there's one or two guys who were actually injured during the combine. <laughs> so there's one one guy that pulled, pulled a hamstring 
during the mm -hmm. combine so that's in there and there was bizarrely and the full details of this have never quite come out but there was a bizarrely a guy that actually got injured taking his medical at the combine <laughs> are we are we talking like um uh, uh, the, the the injury that got uh justin herbert his start like one of the doctors stabbed him a bit too hard with a needle or something. <laughs> like I say, the the, the, the the details haven't come out. It's quite bizarre because it was, you know, it was widely reported on the, on the day of the <laughs> day after because he took his medical on one day and then pulled out of the combine the next day with a swell, with a swollen ankle. Oh, thank and, God! I um, so I thought you were so close to seeing swollen anus. <laughs> as in, just somebody with really long fingers who just done a prostate, and that's why you can't do it. <laughs> I don't know. To answer that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, you know, it's one of it's one of those bizarre things, and and the full details never quite came out. But obviously, for that for that for that player, and it, it was a tackle from the University of Florida. For that for that player. Obviously, his opportunity mm. then to show what he could do at the combine disappeared because he because he was he was injured enough not to be able to take part in the in the forty yeah. and, and that kind yeah. of thing. So I'm get, I guess in that kind of regards, if you're starting the season that bad, like start, not starting the season that badly, so to speak, but starting that kind of process uh, of trying to impress people badly that badly does. Is that a major contributor? Did we see that that person go from I don't know being a first or a second round pick to being a sixth or seventh? No, I mean, and typically that the fall or rise isn't 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 that yeah. big. Um, and in and in and in his case, um, he was able to take part in the pro day, which happened about a month later. Right. So he was able to do some of those drills that he otherwise would have done at the at the combine. I think where it affects players more is is when you're talking about players that come from some of the smaller colleges, mm -hmm. who you know the question marks around those guys guys is always how do they measure up to the big college guys, both physically and in terms of their skills. If those guys get an invite to the combine and aren't able to take part because of an injury or something like that, I think it has more an effect on on those guys. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a there's a cornerback who. I knew was going to the combine because I follow him on social media after watching the uh, Last Chance U season that they were in, and they went to the the college. I don't know what it is, but it's it's the Beavers or something like that. But he didn't participate on the day due to injury, and I know, I know that I'm pretty sure that that college isn't like a a big top tier football college, but he still got. I think he was like one of three people from that college who got an invite to it. Right. Yeah, quite pro quite probably. I mean, I don't I don't don't know off the off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean that's and and, and as you say, when it when it's from a small school and you might be just like that you say like like one of three guys from that school and you, and you've not competed against the Alabamas and the Georgias and those guys, this is one of your few opportunities to do that. So picking up on that, then last year we obviously talked about uh, one such guy who was going into the draft from one of these smaller programs, Malik Willis. Comes into uh, be a Titan, um, play, started uh, a fair few games for the Titans this year. Do we think he had a positive impact on exposing these schools, uh, these smaller programs to NFL draft prospects, or do we think it went slightly negatively? I I, I think that so Malik Willis was all over people's boards yeah. last year. Yeah, right. Some people had him in the first round. 
some in the second, some in the third. I think to be fair, I think the majority of people had an indication that he would go earlier than he did go, which I think was round three in the end. Um, but uh, he probably has a positive, to be fair. He probably had a good enough rookie season to have a positive influence on people, on, on teams looking at smaller schools. Mm-hmm. Now, now I, think, I think the other thing that we probably have to say is that in the age of social media, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, um, I think that the smaller schools go less under the radar now than they did 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, because even, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a quarterback in this, in this draft who, who may be a late-round pick, maybe a free agent, um, Tyson Bajan out of Shepherd. Now, Shepherd's a small Division three school. So you're talking about one, two, three, four, the f- kind of the fifth level of college football. Yeah. But there's loads of film out there on him. You've only got to go and look at him on YouTube, and there's loads and loads, even complete games and stuff are out there, which 20 years ago they wouldn't have been. Fantastic. So I guess with all of this, does that make uh, a draft analyst's job like yourself easier because you have more exposure to that? You can assess a more amount of players and, and get that. Or does that make your job more difficult to assess what the, the big, you know, the 32 teams are looking for in a player? I think, I think, it, makes it, I think it makes it easier in terms of trying to judge quality of players. Yeah. Because I ultimately, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a great believer that you have to watch the film and see them play, right? So, so we can do all of the measurements that we want, and some of that stuff's important. But there's no getting away from watch from from watching them play, and I, I because of the availability of, like I say, a film on on YouTube and other social media outlets, I think that that being able to see more of those. Um, guys, actual playing on the field um, makes the quality of what you're able to to do, I think, better. It makes the quantity bigger, um, and that's the that's that's the issue, especially for um, you know. It, it, I guess it's easier if you're a if you're an ESPN or one or one of those. But when you're um, you know um, people like us. Yeah, to to go from looking at three or four hundred players to looking at six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand players is pretty difficult. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. All right, then, Smith, we got any questions? I mean, I this this isn't one that I previously had, but I just thought of it then, just with obviously you saying that you know um, injuries are you know noted down in in the guide and everything. <laughs> And ones that they've had in the past that you know could flare up and everything about that again. Uh, a player that did go to the, the combine who didn't participate was is it Jalen Carter? Uh, is it is he Alabama or something? Georgia. Georgia. Um, obviously, his isn't due to injury. His is due to an outside factor and stuff like that. Is that something that you you have to look out at now as well because it. It's something that obviously franchises are going to look at, and like this, this makes him a bit a bigger risk for us to take. Yeah, and 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 this one, the off the field stuff, has has always been um, something that you have to take into account. Um, but again, in the social media era, um, 
you have more opportunity to um, get a better feel for what that off-the-field stuff is. Um, it used to be in the past that, you know, it was simply um, there are potential off-the-field problems with player X. <laughs> but you've got no clue what that means. Whereas, whereas in this day and age, it's pretty difficult to keep this stuff quiet, particularly when, um, you know, um, there's a legal process in, in place, which, you know, which obviously there is in the case of Jalen Carter. Mm. I think the difficulty we have, and it's probably um, for everybody that's trying to analyse the draft outside of the teams, so we'll come back to the teams themselves in a minute. I think for anybody else trying to analyse this and trying to assess the impact of an off-the-field issue, I think there's a lot of guesswork in that. Um, and you're trying to work out in your own mind how big that off-the-field issue is and how likely that is to impact the way that teams look at those players. Because yeah. I, I know with him, he was like, I think originally he was like top three prospect or, or something like that. And then obviously this happened and he did drop down. But from what I saw on like other people's, you know, uh, drafts uh, or mock drafts, he's like only dropped down to roughly about seventh and, and stuff like that. So it's not affected him too much, which I, I assume means that like, you know, how you say that they do have the like one to one meetings with the clubs and everything like that. That he has come off as a you know a genuine person that you know he he knows he's at fault. This isn't something that is uh, going to reflect and keep happening with him yeah and, and i and i think that you know coming into this coming into this year right so so at the end of last year the 2021 college season right in my view jalen carter was one of the best players in college football in 2021 and would have been a top five pick in last year's draft had he been in last year's draft so coming into this season he pretty much consolidated that position as a, as a top three, top five pick, depending on which were the teams that were going to pick in that area. In my view, he's slipping just because there there is that off the field question mark. But I don't think he's slipping very far. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say, you know, to a degree, I'm guessing. I'm trying to guess what I think teams will do. And there will be some teams that will have taken him off the board, off their boards altogether. Not many, I don't. I don't think. Um, and you know, his agent has done a good job. So I talked about the visits that players, you know, take in this period to, to teams. With Jalen, in Jalen Carter's case, he's only taken visits to teams picking in the top ten. So they have given their indication that they believe that he's still going to be a top ten pick. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you're right. You know, seven may be right, five may be right. Part of it will depend on how the run on quarterbacks goes. But this off the field stuff's always an issue. And and I hark back. I show my age now. I remember the year that Dan Marino was drafted. Right, so that's 1983. And there were six quarterbacks drafted in the first round that year. Dan Marino was the sixth one drafted. He should have gone a lot higher in that draft. And going into draft day, everybody believed that he would probably be the second quarterback drafted behind John Elway. 
an off-the-field rumour surfaced on draft day. And he started slipping down the board because nobody even had the time, I think, to confirm whether or not the rumour was true. Right. And so, so teams that were looking for a quarterback during that first round then started looking at other guys, and Jim Kelly went, and Todd Blackledge led, went, and, and other guys went, and, and Dan Marino slipped all the way down to Miami at 30th or wherever it was in that, in that draft. As it turned out, the off-the-field rumour turned out not to be true. Um, and so, but that can absolutely impact stuff on the day of the draft itself. Yeah, I suppose as well with what you were saying about uh, with social media, things like that, you can get more of an immediate response of whether something was just bullshit yeah. or not, basically. Yeah, and you know, and those teams that are considering, you know, in Jalen Carter's case, that considering drafting him, they will have had him in. And had those very difficult conversations with him to have got their, you know, to have got their own view on not just probably this incident, but whether it's something that, you know, is there a pattern, et cetera, et cetera. And and as far as I know, there's no indication that there's any pattern here with Jalen Carter. By the way, I wasn't trying to say that. Yeah, that's yeah, the type yeah. Of question, that's the type of question that they would be, you know, they're trying to get underneath not just this incident, but but any other that may exist. Um, mental, mental. The, the only other question I, I really have um, is just a, a general overview of the draft, um, which uh, somebody that we've had on in the past as a guest, um, Sam, wanted to ask that, what is there anything specific in regards to determining a player's raw potential for the future? Um, and they obviously just said, for example, Josh Allen wasn't seen very high when he was drafted, but, you know, just done amazing since he's got into the league. And then this year, another quarterback, Anthony Richardson, wasn't seen as like this high prospect, but has slowly like built himself up through the, I think he's supposed to be like the third quarterback roughly that should be drafted this year. Yeah. I I, I think we have to be honest here. And so this is not an exact science. If, if, yeah. if it was, you know, every, every pick would be a, be a success. You mm. know? Um, I think that, so in the case of Josh Allen specifically, right? So, so, so the, so there were, so there were two kind of knocks on him, if you like, coming out of college. One was that he didn't play at a huge football college, so he didn't go to one of the Power Five schools. And secondly, his accuracy as a passer was questioned, so his completion rate wasn't as high as um, you know a number of other quarterbacks in in that draft, um, and some people have taken the view that the passing accuracy is something that typically doesn't get better when you get to the NFL right it kind of is what it is I'm not one of those people but some people have taken that view and I think that's the reason part of the reason why you know he didn't go as high as some of the others in that draft that's the draft that Baker Mayfield was the overall number one pick in um, so I think people get tied in with certain things and probably 80% of the time they might be right. Um, but I think in this particular instance, Josh Allen's completion percentage, his accuracy in college wasn't, and we didn't know it at the time, but it wasn't a foreteller for what he was going to do in the pros. So no. that kind of slipped through the net, I think, of, of most people. There isn't, 
a specific thing that you can look at for any given player and say if, if he doesn't do this he can't be this in the nfl or if he does do this then he's going to be that in the nfl there are things that you can look at for for positions so, so if we take the quarterback position very few nfl quarterbacks who are successful are under six two or six three right so so you can you can you can almost start there now there's the exception and there's going to be one in this draft right but until for example so kyler murray is a guy that doesn't fit that mold but actually what kyler murray's probably done to nfl teams over the last couple of years has proved to them right now the reason why they want a quarterback that's six two six three until he becomes a huge success teams are still going to be looking at six two six three six four quarterbacks so you can you can eliminate if you like a lot of quarterbacks going high in the draft just by looking at their height and size the other thing you you know you look at you look at their arm strength and you look at their release because there's very few quarter starting quarterbacks in the nfl that don't have a really strong arm and don't have a quick release and there's very few that aren't mobile so they don't have to be a lamar jackson mobile but they could be an Aaron Rodgers mobile, a guy that can move around in the pocket and can make plays outside the pocket. If you get a static pocket passer, which is kind of the 1970s, 1980s mold of quarterback, very few of them become successes these days in, in, in the NFL. Your example of Josh Allen is a great example of a mobile, a big passer with a huge arm who's mobile. And you can kind of look at three or four things for for each position. Um, you know, if you looked at running backs, look at some of the athletic stuff. But you'd also look: does he does he pass catch? Can he pass block? Right. So most of the running backs coming out of college are going to be able to run the football. That's what they've done throughout their whole careers from high school. Can they catch coming out of the backfield? Can they pass block? And that makes and that makes a huge, huge difference. You know, you can run through those things position by position. Mm. Some people are really high on athletic scores. So there's, there's a few ways that athletic scores are, are measured. Um, a lot of people quote RAS, which is relative athletic score, which is something a guy developed over the last decade or so, which is excellent, which which provides a score based on the athletic ability of a player. So how quickly do they run the 40? How, how high can they jump? How far can they jump? How the weights that they lift, etc., etc., relative to the position that they play. So you're not trying to compare, you know, a speedy wide receiver with a 320 pound offensive lineman. It's about relative to the position that they play. And that gives a, a score for the athletic ability of that player compared players at that position and it's really really useful however it's not the be all and an end all mm -hmm. because you can't have really athletic players that can't play right else else for example usain bolt would be drafted as a wide receiver <laughs> you know you'd find the guy that did the decathlon at the olympics and and, and he'd be playing 
and I think it's also worth noting, you turn it around the other way, is that most players that are drafted are very athletic anyway. Yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is interesting and is quite useful. And, and, and certainly in the case of the Packers, it's useful to see the Packers draft very athletic guys. Yeah. Regardless of um, their position or whatever, they always look for that athletic threshold. Not necessarily a good thing all the time. Yeah, does, does that like does that help if like not necessarily that they're like specifically just athletic, but like say in in college, high school, that they play multiple sports? Does that help at all? Like because it shows that they're so. Say for example, I think a big one is like some uh, players that again drafted into the NFL play basketball in college as well. Yep. It shows a bit more yeah, flexi- flexibility because they're not getting like you know smashed about and everything. They're, they're using a different you know set of muscles almost. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely spot on. And basketball's a great example. And it, and it used to be that that kind of we used to jokingly say if you wanted to find a great tight end in the draft, find one that had played basketball in high school. <laughs> for 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 exactly the reasons you've just you've just described. And it often used to be that, for some bizarre reason, that some of the really top tight ends had also been basketball players. Um, but you can look throughout, you know, throughout the draft now. Jalen Carter, the guy that we talked about, played some basketball in high school. But you, so you're absolutely right, and 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 you'll see the same for, you know, there's, there's a number of guys that do track and field. Um, you know, whether that's guys that play wide receiver that do sprints. 100 meters, 200 meters, you know, and some of those are close to running world-class times. Um, but you also see some guys, there's a wide receiver from Princeton who, who does the decathlon. And that gives, obviously that gives you a guy, if he's decent at the, at the 10 events in the, in, the, in the decathlon, then, you know, he's got a wide range of athletic ability. Excellent, excellent. So is this all stuff that you would look at then, like not just, you know, what they do, their college tape, this, that, and the other. Are you looking at their extracurricular as well? Is is that stuff that's widely available to you? Yeah. Again, you know, with the advent of of social media, it's a lot more available than it was even mm-hmm. ten year, even ten years ago. Um. So, you know, there's there's no doubt that the majority of time is spent watching film, mm-hmm. watching games, watching anything that you can get on on specific players. Right. That's the vast majority of time and then you've got this extra stuff right so you know you're researching injury history which one which one of you mentioned a little a little while ago right because that could be an issue if a guy's you know misses half the season at every season that that he's played that's that's obviously a huge question mark you know is an nfl team going to invest huge amounts of money in a guy that typically only plays half a season yeah we probably know the answer to that question. So you so you're looking at injury history, you're looking at the types of injuries that players have had as well. I'm no I'm no doctor by any you know, no medical background whatsoever by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, if if a guy blows out an ACL in his knee in one year, comes back and does the same ACL the following year or the year after that, there's gonna you know that there's gonna be a huge question mark for NFL teams around that guy. Um, so that stuff you have to look at, and then and then as you know, as you as you said, stake. Then you've got things like 
players age right so yeah you know do i want to would i draft a 25 year old quarterback coming over out of college who i think is a similar type player to a 21 year old quarterback coming out i'm probably going to take the 21 year old guy um for two reasons one i'm likely to get a longer career out of it mm -hmm. but two the chances are his upside you know his potential to get even better than what he is at 21 is bigger than the guy at 25 because yeah. probably by the time somebody's 25 26 27 they're probably not going to get much better than what they are today whereas the guy at 21's still got chance to yeah they're still moldable really yeah so, so it's all of that stuff and that's why you know we go back to what i said earlier it's absolutely not an exact science you know and nobody i don't care whether it's me sitting here or any of the 32 teams considering to say I can absolutely be certain about player X that he's going to be the next Hall of Famer or player Y is absolutely not going to be the next Hall of Famer. Yeah. You're playing percentages, but you know, you only have to look at um if you look at first round picks, right? Only about 15% of first round picks ever go on to play at an all pro level one time, one time all pro. That's that's like one in seven. Jesus. So it's, it, you know, the, the, the percent and, and that percentage goes down, obviously, as you go through, as you go through the draft. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, uh, far from an exact science. Fantastic. Fantastic. Unless there's anything else we want to mention, should we move on to talking about the first round as it's a very interesting first round? I'm hearing no objections. So fantastic. <laughs> so the first round this year, we have five teams that don't have a first round pick. Obviously, barring trades, this, that, and the other. Um, so the Denver Broncos, who gave away their first round to Seattle for uh, the Russell Wilson trade. The LA Rams, who are allergic to them. The Cleveland <laughs> Browns, yeah. um, the Miami Dolphins, and the San Francisco 49ers. Um, out of those teams, which would you say are more than likely going to try and trade into the first round? to pick up a talent that they have on their board. Yeah, I mean, you look at those teams and you think that off the top of my head, right, without looking at what other draft picks that they've got, Yeah, my guess would be San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I say that is, is San Francisco are close to being a Super Bowl team. You know, they were there a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. They're right on that, on that verge. And I think when you're in that position, you're much more likely to roll the dice and try and go after after that big name that's going to take you over the top than perhaps one of the other teams that's building would be. So San Francisco would be my guess, but I haven't looked at what other picks they've got to be able to get into the first round. So it's funny you that, should say that. San Francisco is actually one of the two teams that don't have a pick in the first or second round. Right. So, so, so unless they used next year's first round, exactly, up, yeah, to move yeah, up, they're, they're 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 very unlikely to. Yeah, because I think they used a lot of draft capital to get uh, Christian McCaffrey over. Um, so yeah, yeah it's them did, and yeah, Denver that the, don't have it. Yeah, they gave up their second and third rounders, didn't they, to get McCaffrey? So yeah, but yeah. But, but I think more often than not, it's that type of team that maybe that's one player away that's prepared to you know move up. And, and kind of take a chance on somebody. Yeah. And you know, give up next give up next year's first round or if there was a guy that they specifically liked in the first round this year that they think could be the one player that takes them 
to the Super Bowl. If last season's any indication, they just need to draft some more quarterback so they don't <laughs> run out. <laughs> but this is it. This is it. They really had a big shot of going to the, the, the Super Bowl until Brock Purdy gets injured. And then their third string goes down, or, or I guess at that point it was the fourth string goes down, um, and, and, and go I, from there. Yeah, and I guess that the Trey Lance trade is the reason they don't have a first round pick mm-hmm. th- this this year. Yeah, and you know, so 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 the question for the 49ers is actually what do they do at that quarterback position? You know, Brock Purdy's going to be back at some point. Yeah, you know, varying reports, but he's going to be back at some point. Yeah, Sam Darnold. And you know, do they do they consider trading Trey Lance if they don't think he's the guy? Albeit that's giving up on him pretty quickly. But if they that's don't think it. he's the guy, yeah. you know, but then what do you get back for that guy? Because other teams have seen him play now as well. Yeah. And so you know, the first round pick that you gave up, you know, it was the third overall pick or whatever he was in in in, in the draft. You're not mm-hmm. getting that kind of value back for him. No, God no, not in the slightest. No, absolutely, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what they do, or if they just believe that their team's where it needs to be at the moment. They just need to maybe fill some gaps from the lower rounds. But yeah, Denver and San Francisco are without picks in the first two rounds. Um, do Do you think no matter what though, the Forty ers would draft offensive players because defensively they've been there for like, they've been that team for a, a good few years now. It's the offense that's just not been able to tip them over the edge. If I were them, I'd be looking at O line because um, you know three quarterbacks injured in a season, uh, sorry four injured in a season. Something's gone wrong on those O line sort of thing. So I'd be looking at yeah bolstering that. As into actual weapons, I don't think they need a lot. Mm. I mean, I, I think I think actually the the O the O line's a good shout, right? So. Um... The tackle there has moved in free agency, uh, mm-hmm. Mike McGlinchey. Um, so, so I think that O line is probably high on high on their high on their list. Yeah, um, and receiver maybe as well, but definitely O line because of losing McGlinchey in free agency. I think. Yeah. Will, and you know, and this the the tackle position is pretty deep in this draft. Yeah. Um, if they're not picking till the third round, well, yeah, it's it's deep enough for them to get a decent player in the third round at that spot. First round, we've got four quarterbacks that are due to go in the first round. Uh, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will, uh, no, sorry, that's uh, that's an edge I was just looking at. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Yeah, and I think you can probably throw Hendon Hooker into that mix as well. This this Hendon Hooker's an interesting one because I say I was doing a bit of mock draft diving into which by the way, god damn do I hate mock drafts sometimes. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, this person's gonna trade up and get the first three picks in the draft. It's like nobody's got that <laughs> capital. Um but yeah, Hendon Hooker I had seen going as high as um as high as eleven um going to the Tennessee Titans, which I thought was a little bit, a little bit far fetched, but also again we we just see who actually wants them. Yeah. So a lot of people must have an opinion that the Titans are going to draft a QB then, because a lot of the mock drafts that I see is is, yeah. is like you say I've seen Hendon Hooker there. I've also seen 
Will Levis going yeah. to the Titans as well. Yeah. Which I don't know if they are just like, oh, because like you said before with Malik Willis, they're like, oh, yeah. it didn't 100% work out, so let's have another one as well. So, you know, we can test them both. And obviously, I don't think Tannehill is going to be in the league for many more years. This is this is the argument that I've seen, that people don't think Tannehill is going to be in the league for too many more years, that they don't want to just throw Malik Willis in without like making a little bit of competition for him. So yeah, uh, Hendon Hooker Will Levis is two that I've seen on uh, various different ones. Um, so, so, so I think I, I think teams' general thinking around the quarterback position is is different to what it is at other positions, right? And I think yeah. when it comes to the draft, and I think it's this: I think that if you get the opportunity to draft a guy that you think is going to be a franchise quarterback, so it's going yeah. to be your quarterback for the next 10, 12, maybe fifteen years. Those guys are so few and far between and so important, obviously. You know, it's the most important position and all of mm-hmm. that good stuff. But if a guy is there, even if your quarterback position is, let's say it's okay, I think they're more likely to take another guy at that spot than they would be if they had another okay position, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I go back to the Packers drafting Jordan Love in 2020, right? Yeah. And whatever people's feelings around that was, I was convinced before the draft that if Jordan Love was there, that the Packers would take him. And the, and, and part of the thinking behind that was, for me, Jordan Love was one of the best quarterbacks in that draft and was well mm-hmm. worth an earlier pick than the one that he went at. And for the Packers picking that far down the draft, to get a guy that they thought was a franchise-level quarterback picking at 20-odd in the draft, those guys don't drop that far. Yeah. So when, when one's there to take him, you take him. Yeah. Um, this this is the thing, you know, say you cover it in the draft guide, it's the best player available mentality. Um, no matter whether you desperately need this player, if certain players fall to you at your, you know, you're not going to try and draft too far up just to draft a specific player, especially if you don't need them. But if one drops to you at that point, you'd be foolish not to take the best player available if for nothing else you secure that depth or you potentially make a good trade partner for somewhere else down the line. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the best player available is always a pretty good mantra. Now, I think in, I think in most cases, when you get to you know, picking, say you're picking 10 or 15 or 20, by the time you get to yeah. that point... You've probably each team has probably got two or three or four or five players that they probably rate equally at different, yeah. at different positions, and so at that point, you know they're going to take the best player available at their position of need, unless it's unless it's a quarterback because that's going to you know it goes back to what we were just talking about. But yeah, I mean best best player available is always a pretty good way of going. You're not going to go yeah. too far. You're not going to go too far wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so with that in mind, the top five is very interesting. Um, there's an argument to be made for Bryce Young or CJ Stroud to be going at number one. A lot of people at the moment have Bryce Young edging out Stroud, uh, whereas two, three weeks ago, Stroud was edging out Young sort of thing. Um, have you got an opinion on which one will go first? Do you think it will be one or the other? So, so, here, so here's the thing. So we've got two different quarterbacks here we've got the guy that wins in mm-hmm. consistently in college bryce young knows how to win 
mobile, makes pretty much every throw, throws on the move, finds the open receiver, knows, knows how to win. Doesn't have a huge, huge, huge arm, mm -hmm. right? But has good enough, right? But he's under six feet. And then you've got, right. then you've got CJ Stroud, who's taller, bigger arm, um, probably, not probably, isn't quite as mobile. So, you, so you've got you know, different players here. And then I think you have to look at the teams that are drafting. So Carolina, you know, picking at number one. Um, Frank Reich, who's the head coach there, has a history of, of coaching big quarterbacks. Quarterbacks that yeah. are six four and above. So on that basis, everybody's quite rightly, I think, over the last ever since Carolina made the trade to move up to number one, people yeah. have been looking at CJ Stroud as the number one guy. Mm -hmm. It now appears, if you can believe reports, and I've no reason to disbelieve them, you know, reports mm -hmm. coming through ESPN, NFL Network, or whatever else. Um, and you kind of get the feeling that somebody's tipped them off, or or, or whatever. That, that yeah. Bryce Young appears to be Carolina's choice. That's yeah. kind of come out in the last two or three days. That may or may not be true, of course. We don't. <laughs> that might be a complete red herring. Yeah. But it's looking like it's looking like I think that that it's going to be Bryce Young as the overall number one. Yeah. Going from there, I've seen a lot of different information. The Houston Texans situation is interesting to me, as they've got Davis Mills starting their kind of. You started their 2022 campaign, um, a, a relative unknown in EJ Perry as their second. But I've seen people having them trade down from the number two and not even taking a QB in the first round. If you're if you're a number two, regardless of your internal situation, unless you have, you know, a, the person you think is going to be your quarterback at that point, do you trade away from that point? If you're going to say you're the second losingest team from the, the previous year, you've got to do something. Um, so, so they've got another first round pick, right? So they pick at 12 yeah. as well, I want to say. Yes, it is 12. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think, by the way, Hendon Hooker could come back into play, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in a minute. Yeah. I think it's an interesting one for Houston because I think, right? So I think that their heart is set on Bryce Young. Right. Yeah. Bryce Young goes number one, which appears to be the way. Then I I don't think Houston will select a quarterback at number two. And now okay. What I think is going to happen there is I think they're going to sit and listen to offers from teams that do want a quarterback. Indianapolis being one of them, who are picking up four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, possibly Atlanta. Possibly the Raiders, although the Raiders signed Jimmy G. Yeah, but, but but I think I think Houston's going to listen to offers. If somebody makes the right offer, then I think they'll trade down. Otherwise, yeah. I think they, I think they take Will Anderson there. Yeah, and partly with Will Anderson, it's it's because he he's going to come in and contribute immediately. Yeah, yeah, not not a guy that has to have time to 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 develop. He's going to come in and, and lift up their defense immediately. Yeah, that's that's fair. I say my. My top three is CJ Stroud one, Bryce Young, then Will Anderson. Um, 
Anthony Richardson going four and then Tyree Wilson going five. But again, I, I, I had a different mentality to mine. So when I was making my draft board, I'd taken a couple of team needs. I just Googled team needs and took the, the average position by two or three different sources. Yeah, and then kind of found the best player available on on your guide yeah. to fit that position, sort of thing. Now, this is, I say, no way an exact science. This is probably going to be the worst mock draft that's come well, out. Well, well, no. So, so the issue with mock drafts is why I, that's why I do very few. So yeah, you get the first one wrong, you could end up getting all thirty-two wrong or thirty-one. Yeah, in this this first round. Yeah, because uh, take our example here, right? So I think that. The Carolina and Houston and Indianapolis all want quarterbacks. Right? There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah. But if if the wrong quarterback from Houston's point of view goes number one, then I don't think Houston takes a quarterback at number two. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, Will Anderson, who we would have had going somewhere else, becomes number two. Yeah. And the quarterback now that Indianapolis pick at four is, is going to be different because they're now probably taking CJ Stroud at four. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, all the picks start to be different just based on what happens with the very first pick. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah, Anthony... like, this is not related to like the actual draft or anything. I was telling uh, the other day that I was playing franchise mode on Madden, and you can download packs for the actual draft. Right. So all these players were in the actual. No QB went in like the first twenty picks, and it blew my fucking mind. <laughs> and it was—it was one of those, like we said, like that. Literally, one pick was different, and I was like, "Oh my god, everything's different." Yeah, and what's and what's it has this butterfly yeah, effect? Absolutely, absolutely. And what's interesting, just just before I came on here, so Bucky Brooks, who you guys may have seen on the NFL Network, mm -hmm. um, was a scout. Was a scout for the Packers actually for a time. Um. He's, he said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, so I can't remember his exact words, but his indications that he's getting from teams are that the draft looks a lot different to the way everybody's doing mock drafts, and you can throw your mock drafts out the window. Yeah, yeah. Now, now what that probably means is that there's one or two players going in the top five or top ten that nobody's got in there right now, or no, you know, most of us don't suspect are going in there, which is, yeah. then starts throwing all the other picks out. Just don't know who yeah. those are. No, this this is it. I was I was probably watching a very similar video of uh, a Peter Schrader, I think his name was, uh, doing a mock draft, and I was looking, and I by that point I'd done my like top twenty picks sort of thing based on the the strategy I just said, and very few of them lined up in the slightest. Yeah. So I was like, cool, 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 cool. I mean, I, I mean, the way I kind of look at it, I, I feel like it's a successive. If you know, out of the top 32 picks, or let's say there's 31 picks in this year's mm -hmm. first round, is, is if you get like 25 of those, even if it's to the wrong team. Yeah. If you just kind of get 24, 25 of the top 31, regardless of which team they end up going to, then I think you've done pretty well. Have you ever have you ever like tallied up how many you got right in a year and say, oh, I'll never beat that 2011 year when I got 13? I, I I do it every year, <laughs> just just to make sure that I'm I've not gone completely nuts. Um, okay, <laughs> out of curiosity, do you uh, know your best year off by heart? Not off the not off the top of my head. No. Oh. <laughs> um, 
Fantastic. Yeah. All right. I so, can just Im- I'm imagine like going through the draft and you do that um, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like pointing at the TV. I know, and I think that that's that's the thing. Yeah, there's that, or there's the one the other way round where you know a guy gets picked at pick four, and you're looking thinking, what on earth is going on there? So the, the Raiders picked a guy at four, uh, three or four years ago, damn defensive tackle, and I can't remember his name, that like everybody had you know, quite a way down the first round or yeah. into the second round, and it was like it just blew everybody away because it, it then threw out everybody else's picks after that. Didn't, um, didn't the Patriots do something similar last year where they drafted a tackle? that everybody had in like the third round yeah, and Cole's... everybody's like what the hell did they just do yeah they took Cole Strange out of Tennessee Chattanooga who yes yeah, I mean I, I, I certainly had him as like a third a third rounder and I think most people did yeah took him in the middle of the first round but it only, fantastic one of my sayings and it's really true it only takes one team to like a player yeah so, so, so yeah. you know you <laughs> Where, where we say, it's only it takes one team to fuck it up. Well, there's that around as well. But you know, 31 of the 32 teams can have a guy ranked in the fourth round, but it only takes one of them to have a guy as a first rounder and he goes in the first round. Fantastic. There you, go, to, there you go. Back to, back to the quarterbacks because Anthony Richardson's yes. really interesting, right? Because this, yeah. guy, this guy's only started for one year in college, he's only played 13 college games. See, um, I, I sort of think that he, he started the same amount of times in college as Mitch Trubisky. I think I think Trubisky probably started more games in college than... Or maybe it was a final year or something, but that's what I had wrote down from something I saw. We can we, 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 we could check that out. but So, yeah, so you could say that, that he played as many in his whole college career as Trubisky played in his senior year. That's absolutely, that is true. So in, in, right. in Trubisky, Trubisky played 13 games in his last year in college and played 31 total games in college. Yeah, um, so he played nine in 2014, nine in 2015, 13 in 2016 yeah. for North Carolina. So, so the 13 games was he, supposed to say and it was worded wrong, so I've wrote uh, it down. So the 13 games that he played in, in his final year was as many as Anthony Richardson played in his entire college career. Right, yeah, that'll be it then. Um. And that's the thing about Richardson. So, so his arm is tremendous. His lease is tremendous. And it's actually, it's, it's one of the smoothest ball-throwing passing actions that you'll ever see. It's, it's, it's gorgeous to watch, if you like that kind of thing. It really is. It's just, it looks so natural and, and so effortless, you know, for him to throw frozen rope pass or a pass 50 yards down the field so so effortless so he's got he's got those skills he's got the mobility skill that we talked about earlier um he's got the the measurables in terms of size what he doesn't have is that experience mm-hmm. what he doesn't have is a completion you know his completion percentage in college is a little over 50 percent right so his accuracy is not great right now and his ability to throw on the move, which you have to be able to do in the NFL, right? Because you know, you're avoiding those pass rushes and all of that stuff. His ability to be accurate on the move is not good right now. 
So what you've got with Anthony Richardson is this kind of potential huge upside because of his athletic ability and his passing skills. What you don't have is the current production to back that up. And so teams that are drafting Richardson is probably a guy that's going to sit for a year, maybe longer, behind mm-hmm. a veteran quarterback. Yeah, And the big question mark that they have is, does he take that leap? Does he take the leap from where he is today to being the next really good stroke great quarterback? Nobody knows the answer to that question. So, so that's the big question mark about Aaron Richardson, and, and that's the question mark as to why it's not clear as to where he goes in this draft and to which team. Because ideally, if you're, say, Indianapolis picking at four, yeah. um, I guess they Indianapolis picked up... Um, uh, Their current situation that I can up, see is Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger, and Gardner Minshew. Minshew, right. So they picked up, they picked up Minshew, right? So, mm. And Foles, but, but Minshew's probably going to start there. So you could bring in Richardson to sit behind Minshew for a year or two. So mm. they, could, they, could, they could absolutely could do that. If they were drafting for a guy to come in and start straight away, Richardson's probably not that guy. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. Is, why, which is why if CJ Stroud were there, they would take CJ Stroud because he can come in and start straight away. So they're moving down your list, the, the, the Will Levis, Hendon Hooker situation. Yeah. Do you see much fluctuation in that? Because I say everybody at the moment I see has... Levis over Hooker, but obviously we've seen a lot of fluctuation in that. Is that something we just could could see fluctuate even yeah, as we're going down the picks as, as these drop? Yeah, so 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 I think Lef- Levis is a surefire first round pick somewhere in the middle of the first round, right? Yeah, he may because of the position he plays, he may go higher than that. So so. If Indianapolis, for example, decided that they really liked Will Levis at four, I can understand that pick. For me, yeah. it's a little bit of a reach, but it's not a huge reach for a quarterback, right? If they believe that he's the guy. So I think Levis is a guy that could go anywhere from four to 16, that kind of yeah. range in this draft, right? Hendon Hooker, question it's question marks around Hendon Hooker that are the issue here right so so he, so he tore an ACL midway through 2022 season mm-hmm. which means he's probably not back until midway through coming season at best right yeah so he misses training camp he misses the preseason comes back who knows halfway through the season probably doesn't play very much in, in this coming year and that's assuming that his recovery from his injury goes as planned. And there's no reason to assume that it won't. You never know with with that kind of injury. So that's one thing with Hooker. The other thing is he's 25 years old. So he's played pretty much six years years in college. Um, So that goes back to the point, you know, we talked about earlier is do you take a 25-year-old over a 21-year-old? Yeah. The other way of looking at that question is some teams will not care how how old he is if he can play. Right? Yeah. So uh, there will be teams, I think, in the middle to bottom end of this 
draft who will be interested in a quarterback. Top four may well have gone, and therefore it elevates Hooker, if you like, from being a mid-second round pick to a little bit of a reach in the first round. If he weren't injured, if he was 22, then I don't think it would be as much of a reach in the first round. And then you look, you know, so which teams in this kind of middle to bottom part of the first round could be interested in a quarterback? Houston at 12. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota. Yep. Um, you could probably name them as, as well as I can without... Um, off the, off See the, the ones I have looking Detroit. for QBs at the moment are Detroit as yep. another one. Looking at you know the post golf era, yep. Tampa Bay. Um, looking yep. at you know what they're going to do because of their current QB situation is is Baker Mayfield or bust. Um, somebody like the Saints maybe looking to to plan some kind of future, um, and, and that's. You know so, the commanders; their their situation is dire as, as yes. best as well. So, 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 so you could actually, you know, you can absolutely make a case for there being five, six, seven teams, maybe that would be that would take a quarterback if the right guy was there at the right time in the draft. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me, even though you know, on my board for the reasons I've just described, Hooker's like halfway through the second round, kind of kind yeah. of pick. It wouldn't surprise me to see him being a guy that leaps into the first round as the kind of fifth quarterback taken. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, Should we move away from QBs and move on to one of the most, the second most exciting kind of position players that we have a lot of that could go anywhere in this draft, and that's edge rushers. There are so many on this list. I'm just going to name... Some of them that I have in my top 20. Will Anderson, uh, Tyree Wilson, yeah. Miles Murphy, uh, Lucas Van Ness, yeah. uh, Nolan Smith. Those are just some of the names I have in my top 20. Um, is is this a particularly just a particularly good year, or is Edge always one of those years that just seems to have great uh, guys coming in. So it's both. So it's both. Of them. It's, it's both. Well, yeah. If it can be both of those, it's both of those, right? So it's so it's a good. <laughs> it's a good year, but in recent years, every year has been a good year for the edge position, mm-hmm. right? So four or five or six guys going in the first round from the from the edge position is no surprise and would be no surprise in in this draft. And you've just named, you know, the the, the top guys there. And Will Anderson to me was. Similar to Jalen Carter, that I talked about Jalen Carter being, you know, one of the best players in 2021. Same for Will Anderson. And um, yeah, different positions, obviously, Carter being a defensive lineman and, and Anderson being an edge. But they were both mm-hmm. right up there at the end of the 2021 season. And had they been in the 2022 draft, they would have gone really high. Yeah. And Anderson has just maintained that position, you know, into into this draft. Um and his numbers are not quite as good in 2022 as 2021 but uh, but that's because if you if you watch the film he was double teamed more etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so for me anderson is the best player overall in this draft yeah yeah right so great athletic ability 
great speed round the edge, has what we call bend round the edge, where his body bends round the offensive tackle to get to the to get to the quarterback. Great speed. Plays the run, sets the edge, can drop into coverage, but he's a guy that's just an outstanding pass rusher off the edge and has done it at the highest level, you know, playing at Alabama, playing in the SEC. And so for me, when you take all of those things into account, he's the best overall player in this in this draft. Yeah. Now that's not to say that, that he's gonna be a hit, like we said earlier. Sometimes these guys who look great just whatever reason don't work out but uh, but he he for me is is the best player so i think that that's why i think that houston will be very if, if bryce young goes at number one houston will be very tempted to take him at number two yeah yeah so kind of leading on from that <clears throat> question that one of our other guests dave wanted to ask was um obviously last year and this year not particularly the greatest for, like, QB draft class. I know there's a few going uh, higher up, but I think that's more due to teams needing that than them being specifically the most amazing QBs coming out of college and everything. But um, with what you've just said, or what, what uh, Greg's just mentioned, would you say that this year the Edge class is the most popular slash, like, highest rated class? Yeah, actually, I would say it is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a I think that's a good shout. I mean, I think that some of the other positions are um, better than they often are. Tight end is a lot better than it often is. Um, tackle is what it is. So tackle's always good, and it's mm-hmm. it's good, but not quite as deep as the edge class in this. So yes, yeah, I think that's a that's a a great shout. I would say the edge. Yeah, throughout the whole draft, I would say that the edge position is the deepest and best. Yeah, that's good news. That's good news. I'm loving this. Um, so you, we've obviously talked about a few little characteristics of the edge rusher that sets them apart. We've talked a lot about those big QB characteristics. Is there anything that you're particularly looking for in a in a great edge rusher? Is it the set in the edge? Is it being speedy, or is it you know, a mixture of the, the two kind of big yeah, characteristics. Uh, so, so I think the I think the first thing is kind of the obvious thing, right? He has to be able to get to the quarterback. Yeah. So that sounds obvious, and it is it is obvious, particularly in mm-hmm. this in this day and age, right, where it's more of a passing league than it's than it's ever been, right? And I always look at there's four top tier positions, right, for me in in a, in a draft. Yeah. Quarterback. So the guy that throws the football, yeah. offensive tackle, so the guy that blocks for the guy throwing the football, cornerback, the guy that yep. stops, the, stops the receiver or stops the pass, and edge rusher, the guy that stops the quarterback throwing the ball in the first place. So those, for me, are the four top-tier um, positions. And because of that, and because of what I just said, because it's a passing league, first thing you look for in an, in an edge guy is does he get to the quarterback right and, yep. and 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 then on top of that does he have the speed does he have an explosive first step does he have bend around the edge so when you when you watch those really good pass rushers their body contorts it bend literally bends around the edge to get them round the tackle and to close in on the quarterback do they have all of that stuff 
And then you look at the secondary stuff. Do they set the edge against the run? Are they guys that make tackles in the running game? And thirdly, particularly when you're looking at a 3-4 outside linebacker, edge player, can he drop into pass coverage? A lot of these guys in college probably won't have spent a lot of time dropping into pass coverage. Um, yeah. And in the pros, they're not going to be asked to do it a huge amounts of time. But if you look, for example, at the Packers with Preston Smith, you're going to see him occasionally drop into coverage. So you're trying to confuse the offense by by doing that. So you have to have a guy that's that can do that can do that, that stuff. Ultimately, if you start by does he get to the quarterback, and has he done it at a high level? I guess is the other thing. So so mm -hmm. with Anderson, as we said, done it at Alabama, playing against SEC opposition. Um, you won't go far wrong if you find the guy that, 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 that sacks the quarterback a lot at a high level of college football. You're not going to go wrong, far too far wrong mm -hmm. at the edge position. Fantastic, fantastic. The the thing is, when you were like naming off your four positions, I could have, I could have definitely got three of them um, with QB, uh, cornerback, and tackle. And it's that edge position that I guess I overlook. In terms of when I'm looking at it, I look I look for the D lineman more than the edge, um, but I guess to say as they get lumped in together sometimes, but they are speciality positions. I think edge has become a, a more like dominant thing over the past few mm. years as well. Like one one of the things we talk about a lot is like obviously a combination when there's a good defensive tackle like. Uh, and and an edge rush at the same time. So like we're saying that there's there's those two that the quarterback's got to watch out for and the yeah. O line have to protect from and stuff like that. So like the Bosa brothers are really yeah. good edge rush. TJ Watt. Yeah. Yeah. And we've made the distinction, I guess, in the last few years. So 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 previously, if we go back kind of ten years when we you know analysing um, preparing for drafts, we didn't talk about um edge players. We talked about three, four outside linebackers, and we talked about defensive linemen. But the, the, the three, four outside linebacker and the four, three defensive end have become a lot closer in both their physical characteristics and the way in which they play, that we now talk more about this edge position. You know, if, if you take again, and I'll use the Packers example, if I take Rashan Gary, right, that guy's 280 or 285 pounds. And, and he's listed as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Yeah. Now, Will Anderson's 240 pounds as an outside linebacker. That's a huge difference. And that's because Rashan Gary pretty much pl really plays as a 4-3 defensive end. Even though he's listed as an, out as an outside linebacker, they're pretty, the Packers pretty much, even though they play a base in inverted commas 3-4 defense, they pretty much play with two defensive linemen and the two edge guys being Preston Smith and Rashan Gary, who are both huge 270, 280, 285 pound guys. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. I, I, I just love how you, you're able to sling these terms around and I mildly understand them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think we're, we're trying to make this distinction between. When we talk about linebackers per se these days, we tend to talk. We tend to really mean kind of off the ball linebackers, so middle linebackers in the 
in the 4-3, inside linebackers in the 3-4, and outside yeah. linebackers in the 4-3, who tend not to rush the passer so much. Yeah. If you look at those 4-3 outside linebackers, they tend to be guys that will cover the tight end. They'll cover zone coverage. They'll play the run, but they tend not to be great pass rushers. You know, great pass rushers tend to be 3-4 outside linebackers, 4-3 defensive ends. There you go. There you go. So one thing I wanted to pick up on, you said about, um, you know, you're talking about the edge, their ability to get to the quarterback yeah. is, you know, paramount to everything else sort of thing. Um, one guy I wanted to pick up on, Nolan Smith, yeah. who was the fastest guy in the combine at the position and faster than some other guys, you know, at, at arguably positions you need more speed at. Is there something that he does wrong in the other parts? You talk about the bend, you talk about setting the edge. Is there something that he does wrong in that regards that means he's not up there looking at, you know, nipping at the heels of Will Anderson? So, so yeah, cause wasn't he getting like wide receiver running back times in the yeah, 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 and it's a yeah, and it's a and it's a great question, particularly when you try and you know try and you compare this guy with this guy and the difference between yeah. you know, the first guy and. Nolan Smith, who I guess is like the fifth edge guy on our list. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, four three nine forty. So very explosive, very fast, athletic guy. Had an injury in twenty twenty two, right? So so tore. Um, if if I, my memory serves me correctly, without having the guide in front of me, tore a pe- pectoral muscle midway through twenty twenty two season and and miss the rest of the season so question mark how big that question mark is probably not huge but it's, it's a slight question mark um uh, only a slight question mark because he was so great at the combine which came after the, after after the injury he's not the tallest of guys at that spot so he's six two and a bit nolan smith and less than 240 pounds so when you go to that size measurable, he's slightly smaller than you'd like. In an ideal right. world, you'd like that outside linebacker to be 6'5", 250. Um, and he's 6'2", and a bit, and just under 240. So that's a question mark around him. And the other question mark, slight question mark, and you can apply this quite a lot to these Georgia guys, is... How good is he playing in a defense like Georgia has mm-hmm. where you've got consistent other first-round talent on that defense? So, you know... It... Yeah, I've never never really thought of something like that, that you're, you're sort of being put down because there's so many first-round... Mm. So many stars around you that they're like... Yeah, you don't look as good because they're all around you. You know, the team's done well because they're all there. But when you're on your own, you don't look as good as them. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And it and it's do you make play? And I'm not. I'm not you know, if I take if I take a step back from Nolan Smith per se and just say any of those guys, yeah. does one of them look good because two of the others are getting double teamed on every play? Yeah, because they're so good uh, and freeing one of the others up to make a play. 
That's the only question, one of the questions I have around all the Georgia guys that keep going in the first round. You know, the Packers picked two in the first round last yeah. year and Eric Stokes the year yeah. before that. Nothing wrong with those picks, I say. But, but are all of those guys good or are some of them very good and some of them made to look better? Okay, so hear me out in this. Just a, you just talked about yeah. the Packers taking three, you know, talented Georgia guys. Add all of the Georgia guys. And they'll all work out well. <laughs> I would say that, may, that, may, that, that may. is the same as the Kirk Cousins effect. Yeah, Rusty, yeah, 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 yeah. Kirk Cousins is pretty much the epitome of average if you look at his stats and everything like that. But the team around him, give him a 13-4 season or whatever it was, looks like he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and don't get and don't get me wrong. You know, Georgia have been the national champions for the last couple of yeah. couple of years, and um, one of my favourite schools, if I have a, a favourite. Yeah. Um, so it's nothing against Georgia per se. It's just trying to work out whether they're all great, whether the, whether one or two of them are made to look, you know, better than they possibly are. I, um, that's probably you know, and it's. It's probably unfair, but it's probably it's a question that you, you kind of keep asking yourself. Um, you know, if if for example, not so much in this example, but if for example, you know, the pass rush is really good, does that make the corners look better yeah. than they are, or does the having really good corners make the pass rush look better than it is? It's that it's those yeah. kind of things that yeah. keep going through. It's you. almost like the, the opposite of a diamond in the rough. It's fine accidentally getting a rough in the diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> But going back to Nolan Smith, I mean, you could you could fire that question at all of the Georgia guys or any team that's got you know, three, four, five players on one side of the ball that, that, that yeah. are good. So it's not specific to, to Georgia; it's yeah. just that they have so yeah. many. Um, but the things about Nolan Smith, I think that that slightly have marked him down: size and 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 injury, yeah. and production has been good but not great. Right. So he doesn't have Will Anderson numbers in quarterback sacks, for example. All right. There we go. There we go. Um, a lot of, lot of potential, yeah. though. So he's one of those guys that that, that pick is a little bit of a, of a potential yeah. guy pick yeah. as well. No, it's, it's completely fair. And I say, it's, it's, I, 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 say I, I had paid particular attention to Nolan Smith because, I say, we, we, when you look at his combine 40 time, he was yep. faster than yep. a lot of predominant Incredible. wide receivers. Um, but he hadn't snuck into the the top 10 in too many drafts. So he was a very interesting kind of person to me to look at and focus on, um, somewhat hyper-focus on, um, in terms of that. But then... Yeah, oh, sorry, uh, you go for it. I think... It, I think it, I... No, I was just going to say, I think it's that size thing that's the biggest yeah. thing, that's the biggest question mark. And it may not turn out to be an issue, but it's a, it's a question Absolutely. mark. Um, so one position we've talked about quite a lot as being not a first-round pick, um, but it has been a sporadic one. There's one player in this draft that is going to definitely buck that trend, and that's running backs with Bjorn Robinson. Um, I mean, you can watch the tape all you want because it is mesmerizing how he runs with the ball. Um, I don't think there's a you know a team in the top twenty that probably 
isn't hoping that he drops to them. Um, I've seen particular interest for the Eagles to sign him. You know, what, 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 A, why do we think that running back is such a, an undervalued position at this point in the league? Um, and why does Bijan Robinson, you know, buck that trend? So, so the reason it's undervalued, if you like, I guess there's, there's a number of reasons. One is the NFL has become more and more of a passing yeah. league. So there's no question, no question about that. So if you go back to, um, so to give you the, to try and highlight how that is, um, the average passer rating these days is in the low 90s. Mm -hmm. That's the average number. Right? So when we see so-and-so quarterback has got a passer rating of 92.5, that sounds like it's really good, doesn't mm. it? That sounds like, blimey, 92.5, that sounds like it's really good. That's actually around the average right. now. In the early 1970s, the average was 67. Jesus. So, you know, pretty much through, mainly through rule changes, has that average changed from 67 to, to, the low, to the low 90s. So when we talk about, you know, quarterbacks from previous eras, and you see a guy through all these interceptions, and his passer rating was 67, Actually, that's the equivalent of today's 92. And that's the, the real difference in, in, in the league mm -hmm. these days. And so the value of the running back has gone down a huge amount. You know, we go back to the 70s and 80s and, and the Walter Paytons and the Franco Harrises and the Eric Dickersons and the Earl Campbells and all of those guys. Every team just about had a great running mm -hmm. back. The average career of a running back was always short, yeah. right? It was always like three point something years. And that's because of the beating that they take. Right? Play and play and play out. So you've got those two, those two um, factors. And you throw in the other factor, which is, is there a huge difference between a guy that, that you get 4.4 yards of carry from, as opposed to a guy that you get 4.3 yards of carry from. And from an average basis, not a lot of difference, if we're really, if we're really yeah. honest. And so I think that teams kind of look at it that I, there's lots of guys out there that can carry the football and give me 4.3 yards of carry. And so the guy that I've got now that's giving me 4.4 yards to carry becomes more expendable, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. right. so, so it's not it's not the direction I would have liked to have yeah. seen this whole thing yeah. go. But um, that's kind of the way the way the way that it is. And so I think what we're seeing is, as you've described, less and less of a reliance on running backs going early in the draft. And also teams prepared to um, almost um, use running backs earlier in their career in some cases than otherwise they would have been, knowing that two or three years' time, I can just find another yeah. guy. That's, I'm paraphrasing for them, those are not my mm -hmm. words, mm -hmm. right? Right, because I, I don't, don't like no. it. Um, but, but I think that's the, that's the reason. The, the, the position just isn't as... 
as valued as it was for all of those for for all of those reasons. And you, know, you picked on a great a great back, I think, a potential great back in Bijan Robinson. He's my favourite player in this draft. Yeah. So he's not the guy that I think is the best no. player overall, but he's my favourite player in this draft, and that's a little bit of Texas bias from me. <laughs> but also, I, I also I just think he's a he is a great back, and I love great running yeah. backs because I'm I'm old, right? So that's the era that I was brought up in when Earl Campbell from from Texas was run was running a mock, and then for the Oilers and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm an old guy. So I like to see these great running backs, and I think that Bijan Robinson, I just think he's an outstanding, is the outstanding back in this in this draft, and as I say, my favourite player. I can absolutely understand why. Uh, you know, as I say, I watched some of his tape, and I was just like, I, I you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, I hope the Packers trade up and give away next year's first-round pick to get this guy. <laughs> Obviously, with, you know, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, um, Patrick Taylor and and yeah some other names. There's not going to be a lot of need for the Packers to go for a running back position. But yeah, uh, leading us slightly into wide receiver position is a very interesting one. There's only I've seen three, maybe four names potentially going in anywhere near the first round. Uh, Jackson Smith in Jigba. Um, Quinton Johnston, Jordan Addison, and Zay Flowers. Um, yeah. Out of those guys, the the clear majority is Smith and Jigba. Um, yeah. What does he bring to the table that some of these other guys don't? Um, and quite honestly, where do you see him going? Is is it top ten? Oh yeah. So 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 this is my Smith and Jigba is my draft day crush for the Packers. Yeah. Right? Um, however, I don't think he's going to be there at 15 no. with the Packers pick, so I think they're going to have to jump up, I don't know, two, three, four spots to get him. It just depends on, partly depends on how those quarterbacks fall. Yeah. Right? If four go in the top 10, or even, you know, and Hooker pushes up there, then players like Smith and Jigba are going to drop a little bit further. Right, so what are, what are the plus sides of Smith and Jigba? Right? He um, if, if you go back to 2021 or go back to last year's draft, remember when we were talking about wide receivers at last yeah. year's draft, we were talking about Garrett Wilson yeah. of Ohio State. We were talking about Chris Alave of Ohio State. Those two guys both went in the first round. Garrett Wilson was offensive rookie of the year last year. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the third wide receiver on that Ohio State team. Right. Except he wasn't. He was the first wide receiver on that Ohio State team. He led Ohio State in, in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns in the season that Wilson and Alave were there. That's how good he Blimey. is. Right? Um, plays predominantly from the slot. So, guys, teams looking for an outside receiver. He can play outside, but has played most of his career from, from, the, from the slot. So that's going to put off some teams that are looking for a, you know, a big guy on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, I guess the, I guess the the biggest downside to Smith and Jigba is injuries. Yeah. Um, so you know he had a nagging injury for most of this past season. But at the beginning of the season, he was in and out of the lineup, and then eventually 
you know, I think he only played like three games last last year, right. um, 2022 season, and spent most of the year recovering from um, hamstring injury. Was by all reports fit to go towards the end of the season, but sat out the rest of the season to prepare for this draft. Um, so it's difficult to know how long that hamstring injury would have kept him out if he'd played, you know, hadn't had the draft coming up. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the kind of question mark over Smith and Jigba. 6'1", nearly 200 pounds. So good size without being, you know, he's not Alan Lazard, 6'4", kind yeah. of receiver size, but, but it's ideal size. The guy that he reminds me of, I've been asked this quite a lot recently, the guy that he reminds me of is Cooper Cup. It's a good comparison. And that's, that's, that's a great comparison. Yeah. That's probably unfair to Smith and Jigba, but that's the guy that kind of style and stuff that he reminds me of. And he just looks like a guy, providing the injury's okay, he just looks like a guy that gives you 90 catches, 1,200 yards a season. Yeah. That's he just looks like that guy. You know, he's he's not a speedster, you know, so he's not going to consistently beat you down the field, but he's going to catch a heck of a lot of passes over the mm -hmm. middle, slants, crosses that he turns from you know, five yards into 25 yards. He's going to do a lot of that for you. And yeah, just I I just love him providing he's providing he's fit yeah. and ready to go. But I mean, I say fitness going back to the Packers, has not been a major concern for the Packers seem to be with Christian Watson. You know, he was in and out every other game sort of thing. So as long as you've got talent, I guess you've got a home at the Packers. So, And as I say, we've lost one of the, the great court, uh, slot receivers um, in in Randall Cobb sort of thing. So I guess that's a, that's a hole that can be filled by this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you put a Packer hat on, I think he's a great fit for yeah. the Packers. They they need the slot guy. They 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 don't have a great tight end that catches a lot of balls over the middle. So, you know, this opens up the middle of the field with Smith and Jupa. Yeah. Um played in the cold at Ohio State. All of those things that you'd that you'd like. It's absolutely a great fit for the Packers. The question mark is just gonna be around injury and whether teams know more than we do about his medical situation yeah, yeah. all right um the, the other wide for me right and, and this is there's a couple of other wide receivers that you mentioned yeah. i i guess if i was a team picking at 20 in the draft then say jordan addison's a nice pick not dissimilar to, to smith and jigba slightly smaller mainly a slot guy again not quite as productive, I would say. More productive over his whole career because he's played more yeah. games, but not not more not more productive on a per game basis. Um, I just think that if you were picking at ten or fifteen, then the other wide receivers would be too much of a reach. For okay. Me. You know, I'd, I'd if I were a team that that wasn't getting Smith and Jigbra, I'd be waiting to the second round and see what guys fall into into that because there's a whole bunch in that kind of second round, second or third round area, and I'd be looking at those. Guys. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of wide receivers, one of the uh, questions that I'd got from Hayam was asking specifically about a wide receiver, Andre Aosavas. I think that's how you see it. Yeah, Princeton. He was uh, yeah asking like. What we was saying, like, where do you think he'd end up, and like, who in the league at the moment do you think is like his best comparison? 
great measurables, right? So 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 he's more than six 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 three and a bit, just over two hundred pounds. So he's a big receiver. He's also a great athlete. So this is the guy that I was talking about earlier that did track and field, mm-hmm. right? Um, heptathlon, stroke decathlon, played basketball, um, which you mentioned earlier. So so he's a great great athlete. Really, really is a, an out, outstanding athlete, right? Um, I guess the the question mark around him, or the biggest question mark around him, is the level of football at which he's played. So although Princeton is nominally an FBS school, right? Princeton hasn't what isn't what you would call one of the major college powerhouses when it comes to football, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, if right? I hear the word Princeton, I'm not thinking football first. I'm not going to lie. You, you, no, you're thinking you're thinking Princeton, Yale, Harvard. You're thinking yeah, I'm thinking academics, smart people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. So, so Princeton and and Yale and Harvard have not been football powerhouses for you know 120 years. And that's before I was around. Before anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the next question um, I had was, "Are you a vampire?" <laughs> I was going to say Highland, but um, <laughs> so. Super athletic guy. Production has been okay in college, right? So he hasn't had a thousand yard receiving season in, in college, but it's kind of a seven, eight hundred yard receiver. So yeah, it hasn't in, been in twenty two he got nine hundred and forty three. So he's right. very close to a thousand. Yeah, so you're you're right. Finishing yeah, just 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 short. And um so he's been really good without being you know Without being a fifteen hundred yard receiver, then let's let's put let's put it like that. So his production has been good. It's come at the Ivy League level. Um, has that great athletic ability? Has the speed? Can beat teams deep. Um, hands are so. There's some drops that he had that kind of. That look like concentration drops. So some some passes that you think just ought to be caught. One or one or two of those. Like a, um, he's thinking about what to do, what he's going to do when he's cut the ball, instead of just thinking catch yes. the ball, then yeah. do. Yeah, quite, yeah. quite, quite, quite possibly. Um, so I think the main thing, right, that, that that's going to knock him back. So, so, there's, so there's some of those things that we just described, but the main thing is he wasn't a thousand yard receiver at the Ivy League level. So for a lot of teams, a position that's as deep as wide receiver and wide receiver is always a deep position. They're going to be looking at guys that are a thousand yard or 1200 yard or 1500 yard receivers in the SEC or in the Big Ten or in the, or in the Pac-12. And you're probably looking at those guys before this guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So because it, you, because, would you, reckon because you, have to ask, you have to ask yourself the question, don't you? It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, if you want to compare it to, to soccer, a guy that, that, that scores a decent amount of goals in the first division. Can he... Is that the guy you think's going to be a premier striker at, in the Premier League? That's the type of question. Yeah. 
It's not to say that he can't be, because he's got some of the athletic ability to improve and all of that stuff, but it's the type of question that you have to ask yourself. Where I think he's going, A3 or fifth round, right? Because I think the athletic ability takes him there. Um, and I think that teams will believe that they can... You can't teach that athletic ability. You can teach some of the other stuff. And he could be a project for a team that, you know, he's their fifth or sixth wide receiver for a couple of years. Could be a guy that becomes number two or a number three in the future if if he progresses well. There you go. And just on that subject, by the way, the Packers have never drafted a guy out of Princeton. Well, then. <laughs> Not putting but that going back to your... <laughs> Going back to the guy that asked the question, I do like him as a player, yeah. by the way. I do. Mm. Uh, and, is there anybody and, currently in the league that you would say is like his main comparison at the moment? Or is it because, because like you said, he's not been playing at a specific level. There's no one really to gauge uh, a comparison with at the moment. Uh, there's bound to be a guy, but I have to, I have to apologise off the top of my head. I can't. Mm. You know, if I give it some thought, I'm, I'll come up with a guy, but... No, I apologise. I can't. I can't quickly come up with a with a guy. I mean, look for look for a speed guy that's six foot three currently in the league. That's probably a, a fourth or fifth receiver on a team, and it'll be that guy. I didn't know if you were to move on to something else, Craig. But the only other question really Hiam had was like same question really, but it was about a tight end named um, Sam Laporta. Yeah. So. You know, the tight end group just generally this year is better than it often is. This is a really nice group of tight ends. Mm. What you've got is probably six or seven guys that are likely to go in the first in the first three rounds, which is more than we would normally see. Yeah. With Take your pick as to how many of those go in the first round, right? Could be one, could be two, could be three could even be four probably not as many as that and that's because a bit like running back tight end is typically a position that not a lot of first round picks are spent on tight ends because history says that they never quite many of them never quite work out how you would hope for high draft picks so sam laporta for me is in that second to third round area um, but I have seen, I have to say, I've seen the occasional analyst recently even have him going as high as the first round. Not for me, right? And that's only because some of these guys above him, I think, are more refined in the, at the position today, mm-hmm. right? So if you take the top guy, Michael Mayer of Notre Dame, so that's a guy that can can block and pass catch is not going to beat teams deep down the seam. So so I don't see him as the second coming of Travis Kelsey, right? So I don't think he's a 100-catch-a-year guy, but he probably is a 60-70 catch-a-year guy. Um, Second tight end, Dalton Kincaid, better pass receiver, more exciting, uh, better speed, than Michael Mayer, but isn't the blocker that Michael Mayer mm-hmm. is. Third tight end, Darnell Washington, 
it's kind of the wild card in the in the tight end pack because he's six foot seven and 270 pounds so it's a huge huge guy that's almost tackle size so what does he give you as you would hope and expect from a guy that size immense blocker and a decent receiver now he's been the number two tight end at georgia Number one guy there, Brock Bowers, is likely to be a first-round pick next year. So hasn't had all the notice that some of these other guys had. So hasn't been as, as many passes, hasn't been as productive in the passing game as some of these other guys. But has potential in the passing game. And as I say, it's a huge guy, huge blocker. So he's kind of the, the wild card there. Um, Luke Musgrave, not too dissimilar to Dalton Kincaid. Better pass receiver than um, blocker. So that's kind of the top four guys. And I think that Sam Laporta, you can throw into that mix. He's the fifth tight end for me. right? And, and so super athletic guy, um, really nice pass receiver. Um, not great, great speed, but okay speed. Blocking is the area where he's not quite as good. So for me, he's more similar to Dalton Kincaid probably than he is any of the other guys, but not quite as good a receiver as, as Dalton Kincaid. The, the other thing is, the tight ends, you kind of look for ideally kind of six foot five guys, six foot five, six, five and a half, six, six, you know, that big tight mm. end coming over, coming over the middle. The port is six, three and a bit. So... Doesn't quite have that measurable that you'd ideally like um, in in your tight end, um, but a nice receiver. He is a nice receiving tight end, and there's lots of teams, including the Packers, that could do with a guy like that. It's 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 always interesting. I say like tight ends. I can't remember the last time I got excited about a tight end, but that Dalton Kincaid, as you said, I've heard a lot of hype about him. I've I've, I've seen a couple of a couple of catches on tape and whatnot. Um, and I say, just I've not been excited for a tight end in a long time. But I say, with the, the Packers especially, the tight end position looks a bit rough with the potential loss of Mercedes Lewis, with uh, Big Bobby Tunyon out of the picture. I, I say, it's, it's one of those, I'm not sure about what we're going to do. Yeah, and, and, and everybody, you know, everybody wants to find, you know, the next... Travis Kelsey yeah. or the next George Kittle, don't they? Yeah. George Kittle went to IR. Yeah. Which is the same the same school that Sam Laporta went to. Mm -hmm. So this so this kind of you know, that kind of piques people's interest. You know, I think, oh, could that be the next yeah. George Kittle? Um But yeah, I mean it's there's lots of teams that want to find that guy. Because you cause you we've certainly found in recent years, haven't we, that you know, and we think of the Chiefs especially that yeah. Those teams that are, that, are, that are successful over a period of time have really good play from the tight end position. You know, we think of Rob Gronkowski and those types of guys. Yeah. And you know, very few teams, I guess, are successful for a long period of time without, you know, a, a, a highly productive tight end. So yeah, again, from a Packers perspective, they could easily take one at fifteen, or they could easily take and get a good player in the second round mm. at that spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think actually I think lots of teams will be thinking like that because because I said you know there's six guys probably that that are kind of 
going to go in the first three rounds. So I think teams may hang back and use the second round rather than their first round pick on a guy. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, is there any other positions that we want to talk about? I kind of want to do a little bit on special teams just before we wrap up and, and go to the exit sort of thing. Um, but if there's anybody else, any positions, any players in particular that we want to talk about uh, before that? No, the, the only other question I really had was uh, uh, Dave was just asking if there was anybody specific that you were looking at in like day two and three, but it's, yeah, it's not a specific thing really. Yeah, sometimes it's worth just kind of throwing some... some... Do you know what team Dave supports? Uh, Dolphins. Yeah, yeah so there's some guys in round two or three. I, I, I'll give you some just general names of guys that are really interesting in this in this draft and may go a little bit later. So the first one would be Deuce Vaughan, right? So as a running back um, out of Kansas State. One of the most, if not the most exciting player in this draft, right? But the reason that he's going to go somewhere in those middle rounds is that he's five feet five. Right. And so there aren't many five foot five players in the NFL. Yeah, Jesus, like right. a pocket rocket. <laughs> it, absolutely, it absolutely is. So it's the type of guy that if you use him the right way, you know, use him on jet sweeps, get in the ball in space. So use him as a receiver coming out of the backfield. Um, all of that kind of stuff is going to be a kind of highlight reel kind of guy. The kind of guy that you will see appear on on red zone. You know, all of all all of a sudden yeah. it's just just you know, just had a seven seventy yard touchdown run or something like that. Um, but he's but he's in that middle period, middle of the draft because teams just don't draft five foot five guys. You know, we, we already, as we talked earlier, we already know that running backs are kind of they get beat down and whatever else. Yeah. So those smaller running backs, even more so, teams tend to steer away from. But somebody is going to pick up Deuce Vaughn in that middle and, and, and get, you know, as their th kind of third down back or whatever, and they're going to be really excited for, for getting him. Um, some other kind of names just, just further down. There's a whole bunch of wide receivers we probably don't need, don't need to cover. Tight ends, there's a, lot, there's a lot of those guys. We've missed the corner. So, so corner is a deep position again, mm -hmm. and, it, and, mm -hmm. it, and it usually is. Uh, the, the three or four of those guys will go in the first round with a spoon Gonzalez, Porter, um, Deontay Banks of Maryland probably. Um, is a linebacker, Dion Henley of Washington State, likely as a second, third round guy, doesn't get as much um, kind of publicity as some other guys, but really athletic linebacker and is a guy that's on the rise, is getting better quickly. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a team take him. The other guy um, that kind of got a lot of publicity early last season um, is uh, the guy out of Army, the edge rusher out of Army, um, Andre Carter. You know, some people were talking about him as being kind of a first-round pick at one time. Um, he's probably going round three-ish. But his athletic skills are really, you know, he's, he's, he's like six, 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 seven with really long arms and knows how to get to the quarterback. Wasn't as productive this past year as previously, but, but I think he's a name um, to, watch, to watch out for. And then right towards the back end of the, of the draft, 
there's a safety out of Sacramento State, which is a really small school when it comes to football, uh, called Marte Mapu. And he didn't even get an invite to the Combine, um, but played really well at the Senior Bowl, which is one of the all-star games. Played well at the Collegiate Bowl, which is also an all-star game. And is a guy that kind of, from the safety position, um, it's almost like a linebacker playing safety. He's a big hitter, likes to tackle, like 220 pounds. He plays better close to the line of scrimmage than he does deep. And for a guy from that smaller school, he's a guy to watch out for. So that's just a few names. Yeah. There we go then, there we go. Special teams. Special teams. Special, Special teams. Um, it's one of those interesting kind of parts of the draft where especially in your guide, you've highlighted none that would actually be drafted. Um, is that because you don't genuinely don't think that people or teams are looking at these guys in the draft to kind of go from there? Or is it because you don't know who's going to fall to what point and who's going to want a position at this point? So, so yeah, so, so, so what, what I've tried to do in my you know in my in my draft board is is list the players in in order if you like yeah. knowing that that's not the order in which they will be drafted yeah yeah, yeah absolutely 100% so, so, so it's my it's my preference list of players right there will be probably a kicker and a punter if not two of each that get drafted yeah right that happens pretty much every year for me, they're not value, mm-hmm. right? But there will be one. There'll be a team, for example, that really likes Jake Moody, the kicker out of Michigan, right? So there'll be a team that's looking for a kicker, yeah. really likes that guy, and will probably draft him in round six or seven. Yeah. So that that I absolutely, you know, can see happening. I'd be I'd be surprised if it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, for, for for me, all of those special teams guys this year sit out of that top two hundred and fifty, top three hundred area. Um, but there will be a couple of hunters and a couple of kickers drafted. I'm 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 sure of it. Yeah, so there'll be teams specifically looking for that position, and our Packers could be one of them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, with with Money Mason uh, potentially retiring out of contract um going from there i don't know what's going to happen there obviously there's so much that could happen between now and the draft let alone now in the start of the season um but as i say is is there any of those guys that you would be surprised didn't go uh in you know the sixth or seventh round Obviously, Jake Moody, we've talked about him, but is there, you know, a long snapper, for instance, the, the top one you've got is Alex Ward. Is is there a possibility that you think he's not going to be taken at all um, or, you know, could potentially go sixth, seventh round? Yeah, so, so um, I would probably say there's a 50% chance that he goes in round seven. Yeah. It's that kind of... That kind of um, area and and i think because 
It would be obviously for a team that was specifically looking for help at that position. Yeah. Whereas I think that most teams will say, I'll just see who becomes a free agent after the draft and I'll bring two or three of those guys in and job done and I don't need to spend mm-hmm. a seventh round draft pick on that guy. It will often be a team. So a team with more draft picks is more likely to select, say, an Alex Ward in round seven than a team that's only got six draft picks or something in this in this upcoming draft. Yeah. So so if you look at teams that might have like 10 or 11 picks that also may need a long snapper, then that's the kind of place that you could absolutely see him going. And like I say, there's probably a 50% chance that he gets picked in round in round seven. Mm-hmm. I think the last thing I have to pick up on is something that you noted in the guide, the fullback position. Yeah. It's making a comeback. <laughs> it, is, is this... First of all, for those who don't know, briefly explain what the, the difference between running back, halfback, fullback is, and then go into potentially why they may have made it an actual position to be drafted this year. Historically, the, the fullback position has kind of... Cha- its role has its role has changed, right? So, 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 if we went back to kind of the early nineteen seventies mm-hmm. and into the sixties as well, to be fair, but let's just but the fullback was often the predominant ball carrier yeah. in a in a in a team, and typically the the fullback would be twenty or thirty pounds bigger than the, than the halfback. And he'd be the guy that would carry the ball up the middle, pick up the short yardage plays, and do and all of that stuff. Um, you know, and some of the great running backs that we talk about, like um, Franco Harris of the Steelers in the in the in the seventies, and Larry Zonka from the Dolphins, were fullbacks. You know, they were listed as fullbacks. They were big, big backs. Did most of their running inside. And then as we got into the more kind of West Coast offense of so Bill Walsh at San Francisco, fullback became less and less of a ball carrier and more of a receiver and blocker out of the backfield. So lined up, if you think of the eye formation with the quarterback, fullback directly behind the quarterback and the halfback directly behind the fullback, the handoff would be to the halfback and the fullback would be blocking a linebacker, blocking a safety. So it became more of a blocking yeah, right back, and that's predominantly what the fullback position has been for, you know, two or three decades now, if not long, if not longer than that. And in fact, what we've started to see probably in the last decade is fullbacks that start to split out to the tight end spot, fullbacks that go in motion as kind of H backs before plays, so become predominantly blockers, blockers that go in motion backfield yeah and, and kind of the, the best example of a, of the best fullback in football today is the guy at san francisco and I, i'm just looking up so i can pronounce this properly yeah properly because i've done him a dis- disservice kyle use check use check yes yeah. oh my god he's sixth string quarterback for him as well <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so so that that's the that's the kind of um a one fullback today in the NFL. Right? Yeah. Number one, number one blocking guy, catches a few passes, occasionally carries the football, but not but not very often. Right. Um and 
there's only kind of two or three of his ilk in the league and and use check is the is the the, num the number one guy when we look at this draft the guy at north dakota state hunter lipke is back to the ball carrying type of fullbacks that we saw many years ago right so he's a big big guy um, but carries the football as much as he blocks and catches in the nfl right he doesn't really have a position match for for his skills if you like as a fullback right because he's not he's not kyle Juszczyk, right yeah um but what he what he could be is a guy that can catch passes can occasionally run with the ball could line up as a tight end could go in motion could do a multiple multitude of things including play special teams so he's going to be a little bit of a wild card guy i think for a team that that drafts him because he can do multiple i think on that basis that's why i've got him i don't have the thing in front of me but like sixth or seventh round right is that kind of area yeah yeah, you him, yeah sixth or seventh and then three undrafted free agents Right. So, 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 so I think that somebody picks him towards the end of the end of the draft, and I think uses him in, in that multitude of roles. Yeah. I think he, he'll block more in pros than he did in college. I think he'll line up as a tight end occasionally. I think he'll carry the football a little bit. He'll catch the football a little bit and he'll play special teams. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And again, and again I apologize for not being able to remember the, fullback from san francisco's name that's really bad and bad <laughs> kyle use there you go who of course um, went, to an, went to an ivy league school he went to harvard oh that's why the packers didn't draft him <laughs> so, he's, so he's the he's the proof that an ivy league guy can yeah play in the nfl <laughs> we just need more use checks um this has been an awesome episode. It's gone very long, so we'll more than likely split it up. So if you have listened to all, I'm going to guess, like two hours of this, uh, congratulations, by the way. Uh, you are a super fan of the Brick Cave Blitz. Um, any closing thoughts before we go to a full wrap-up? The only, the only thing for me is I think that, and we've kind of touched on this already, but I think, I think the top of this draft... It's going to be so interesting mm. as to what it does to the rest of the first round. And I yeah. think that once we get, you know, we know whether it's Bryce Young that goes number one or CJ Stroud. And by the way, I think it's either one of those two. Yeah. Right? I don't think anybody else no. is in the mix as far as I can make out to be the number one overall pick. But I think depending on which one of those two it is will determine what happens with the next 15 picks probably. Yeah, very I think that's, so. that's going to be really, really exciting. According to Madden, it was a left tackle. So, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 two of those guys could go in the top ten. By the way, we haven't touched on tackles, but two of those guys, Peter Skoronsky and Paris Johnson, could go yeah. in the top ten. I think the other thing for Packers fans listening is going to be what happens with the Aaron Rodgers trade. Yes, yes. Yeah. Does yeah. that happen before draft day? It may well happen on draft day itself. Um, yeah, which will which will be interesting. So we've talked about the Packers picking fifteen and then forty five. That may all yet change. Yeah, absolutely. I say, I think 
as I say, we we can do all the mock drafts. As I say, my the 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 draft that I done was based on no trades whatsoever. But I think it will be ludicrous to say that we get through the the first round of drafts without at least two, maybe three trades. Um, but that's just something we can't predict. Um, do you are you a hardcore guy? Do you watch all of the draft nights? Yeah. I do. I, I, I do. So, so this, so this for yeah. me is like this is my Super Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the the draft, unless unless the Packers were in it, because I understand that even if the Packers aren't in it, they still play the Super Bowl, which I didn't realize. Um, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed that once the Packers were knocked out, the season ended, right? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But, 100%. But, but, yeah, <laughs> they, they decided a shorter season this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but no, in, in, in all seriousness, I, I, I think because I spend so much time watching these guys. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I think it just... Yeah, it's it's like this, like an extended three day yeah. Super Bowl for me, and um, I, I probably, I'm really honest. I love the draft more than I love the Super Bowl. If I'm really, if I'm, if I'm really honest, and that may sound odd, but that's kind of just where my focus. No, I've you know, say it's, 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 like it's obviously in, in a in a Super Bowl, if something doesn't go right, everybody blames the ref. If something doesn't <laughs> go the way you want it to, who do you blame? <laughs> It's always the it's always the it's always the GM's fault, and of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's um, it's and that's a heck of a difficult a heck of a difficult job because we're all you know when it comes to the draft, we're all Monday morning GMs, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I would have I would have picked this guy, yeah. You know? And we go back three years ago and say, yeah, you see that guy that they picked in the second round three years ago, I would never have picked that guy. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of that over this season, especially with Jordan Love. Um, but it's fun. And, and that's the, it. you know, and that's, and that's the main thing about it. And it's just, it's, it's just the, the, the first round of the draft in particular, it's just, it's just fun to see where those guys go. The, the guys that, you know, we've all been reading about, yeah, um, watching and whatever else to see where those guys and trying to a little bit trying to get inside the heads of the gyms and trying to work out why they picked this guy over that guy, but it's it's just fun. It's fun. absolutely and and to be fair, I mean, in, in some regards, the draft does actually give us the longer living stories. I mean, we go back to you know the the Philip Rivers, uh, Eli Manning. Uh, draft night where you know that that whole drama was unfolding we go back to the the draft where actually Aaron Rodgers was supposed to go number one overall and then he dropped down so far um these are some of the stories that you know I can remember a lot more and I didn't even watch the draft at that point I don't think you know when a lot of these players were actually drafted I don't think I was watching football so these are stories that kind of come through the drama well um that's probably as i say more interesting than some of the super bowls and more memorable than some of the super bowls that have ever happened yeah and I, I, you know I'm, I'm i'm trying to watch it in the uk of course it has the as the added bonus of it's happening in the middle of the night the yeah. first the first round which just makes it even worse when you sat there waiting for your team to pick and they trade down all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you set yourself up, you know, i know they're going to pick it about 2 30 i'm I'm already, and then you hear that they trade down, and you just, and that's when you start booing at the TV. 
<laughs> booing quietly because you don't want to wake or, up your neighbours. Or you get, or you get the people the other way around. So, so one of the fans of one of those teams that you talked about earlier that doesn't have a first round pick. Yeah. So they don't even bother tuning into the first round, only to find out the next day that their team has has traded back into the first round. Yeah. And, ta- and taken so and so. Um, yeah. yeah, that makes it amusing. But... Absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. Love it, love it, love it. Fantastic. Um, and with that, I want to thank you, dear listener, for listening to this two-part uh, extravaganza. Um, we are sure to have Peter back on to talk post-draft to see, you know, where some of these names that we've mentioned uh, go to see what surprised us most, um, and try and get him back on as much as possible. Um, we've been really slack at getting guests on over season two, so hopefully we'll be able to get on top of that for season three. Um, thank you once again to Peter. Hmm? Guess whose job that was? <laughs> I, I mean, you know. Uh, I, mm. my my job <laughs> on this podcast is to turn up be charismatic as fuck um and and let you work your magic to make me look like an idiot and i do my job well get absolutely. guests on <laughs> absolutely and get and make me look like an idiot <laughs> but no thank I'm... you very much peter for joining us well, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for inviting me to come on. Um, you know, absolutely, absolutely loved it. I hope I didn't talk too much, um, but absolutely, absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, more than happy to come back on whenever works for you guys. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I say it's one of those things where like you've got such a like a mesmerizing voice, and you're so knowledgeable. I never want to interrupt. Like you could literally ramble on and like go from talking about an actual player in the draft talking about your your set of ceramic teapots and i'd be like yep keep going <laughs> so, so so that's the next episode then is it the yeah, ceramic, yeah, ceramic teapot teapot episode okay <laughs> which one would you draft <laughs> i say before that we have the episode of a, a full on argumentative debate of what's better super bowl or draft night <laughs> oh Oh, okay. I've got to do some research then, because I'm on the fence about it. <laughs> but no, as usual, I've been your host, the unusual Greg, unusual underscore Greg on Twitter and Instagram. He has been Smits, which is DRS underscore 994 on Instagram and Instagram only. And Peter, if you want to plug anything, your Twitter, any other podcasts you do, I mean, the list would be too long. Uh, <laughs> so we'll have a third part just on the podcast you've actually featured on. I mean, I'll just I'll just do a couple if it's okay. You can find yeah. find me on Twitter at, at the underscore it underscore hedgehog. Um, catch me regularly on the AVG Cheese podcast with a couple of guys from the states and UK Packers. And and for those people that are interested in the in the draft guide that Stakes referred to, you can find it on ukpackers.co.uk. There's a link for it there. And I think even if you're not a Packers fan. This whole bunches of that draft guide that's about the players in this draft that mm-hmm. isn't Packers specific that I think you might find, hopefully you'd find interesting. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. As I say that that link to the the draft guide uh, will be in the description of this episode. We will tweet it out and we will uh, have it on our Instagram. It's absolutely free, completely free. <laughs> there are three hundred and seven pages worked on you know, over the last 18 months 
uh, and more um completely free they're asking for nothing so you know you'd be a fool to miss out really <laughs> and don't forget to follow the podcast at brick cavelet on twitter and instagram as well uh from myself it's go pack go brick and blitz